and welcome to the first ever episode of the Bocce Guy Chronicles. Uh, my name is Lance, and I am the creator of this podcast. Uh, my first ever <laughs> podcast that I've ever created, so please uh, bear with me and recognize that I will endeavor to improve the quality of these things as time goes on, um, but I wanted to take the time uh, to get my message out there and hopefully um, inspire some folks along the way. Um, so let's begin. I, I guess I want to start by explaining a little bit about myself and what kind of led me to the point where I wanted to share my thoughts with you. Um, I'm 37 years old from Canada, and I have cerebral palsy. It's a condition that affects me um, in in that I require a power chair to get around, a power wheelchair to get around, and... uh, I have very little fine motor skill and very poor balance. Um, I have been a jock uh, my whole life uh, for as long as I can remember. Uh, I remember as a young child watching the Toronto Blue Jays in 1992 and 93. I was a young teenager then. and, and really enjoying every minute of watching those World Series wins in 92 and 93. Um, but I could never play sport. Uh, my disability was such that, you know, I didn't have the coordination. I couldn't push a manual chair. So wheelchair basketball was not an option. Uh, wheelchair racing was not an option. I, I didn't have the physical ability to compete at many of the traditional um, sports for those with disabilities because e- either I didn't have the coordination or I didn't have the physical strength uh, to, to make those things work. And then my life changed in 1993. Um, I was introduced to the game of bacha, which was originally derived from the Italian sport of bacha. Um, Anybody familiar with it understands that the basic idea is that you have a a target ball, which has various names, but for our purposes in the adapted sport, uh, the target ball is known as the jack ball. And um, the objective is to get your colored ball as close to the target ball as possible. And you want to be closer to the target ball than your opponent. In our adapted version of the game, there are six red balls and six blue balls. Each side, which can either be an individual, a pair, or a team of three athletes, play with either the red or the blue. And again, your objective is to get your colored ball closer than your opponent to the white jack ball. Um, if you want to know more about Bacha and how it works and the rules, I suggest that you go to BachaCanada.ca and you'll notice uh, Bacha 
is spelled B-O-C-C-I-A in this case because it is the adaptive form of Bacha, which is normally spelled B-O-C-C-E. So, Bachi Chronicles. The Bachi Guy Chronicles. What you don't know about me is that I competed in the game from about 1994 all the way up to about 2000. And I competed for Canada at the Paralympic Games in Sydney, Australia in 2000. And then, uh, partway into 2001, I had walked or left the game and decided to get into my post-secondary studies and, and move on to the next phase of my life. So, I left the game and I didn't play it for about 16 years. 16, almost 17 years. And... Um, last fall, I guess, no, when would that have been? Well, about last March, a year ago now, I watched the live streaming of the Canadian National Bocce Championships um, on, on the web. And I watched the players playing games and I recognized that I could play this game still, that I could compete at this, at that level, and that I could be back there at the Nationals uh, at some point. And so, in April, uh, I renewed my membership with the Provincial Sports Association, and I started the journey of making a comeback in the sport of bacha. And... In the, in the year that's passed since those Bocce Nationals, I've competed in a couple of events. I have um, been back at the game, and I've been given the opportunity to uh, work with the national coaching team uh, to develop my skills in the sport, to try and, and boost my skills so that I can get back up to the level that I was at uh, 16, 17 years ago. Um, it has been an incredible run. And over that time, I've also been trying to help younger athletes um, develop their own skills and, and come up in the sport along with me. Um, so I've kind of got a dual role right now in the sport in that I'm coaching and I'm also um, playing the game. Um, it's a little bit of a blurred, blurred role, and I recognize that I probably can't do it forever uh, in, in both roles. But for now, I'm, I'm enjoying helping a younger athlete develop and, and hopefully compete in his own right, in their own right, uh, in the near future. Um, so that brings me to why I decided to do this podcast. It's not only for myself, but it's also for others to hear my story and hear my approach to things. I have taken a liking to using Audible 
www.ca.ca uh, uh, for audiobooks. And I've really taken a liking to listening to a variety of books on various topics. But today I want to focus on a biography of Michael Jordan, known as Michael Jordan, The Life, uh, written by Roland Lazenby. And that book certainly does a tremendous job of uh, talking about Jordan's life and and basically painting a very, very um, incredible picture of a pretty uh, amazing run that Michael Jordan uh, has been on. Michael Jordan, uh, in my opinion, is likely one of the most um, effective, competitive athletes of our generation, regardless of what sport he's in. I think if you put him against the greats of all the sports, including Gretzky, including anybody else, um, I believe that Michael Jordan is and will forever be the greatest athlete ever play a sport um, because I still haven't seen anyone match his his abilities in that he literally was able to find uh, a fifth, sixth, sometimes even a seventh gear when he played that no one else was able to, to ever come close to. I mean, people talk about, you know, LeBron James in basketball right now and how he just recently uh, broke one of Jordan's records. LeBron James has still not carried the Cavaliers to the extent and for the length of time that Michael Jordan carried the Bulls in that double three-peat dynasty that was the Chicago Bulls. Yes, there was a break when he retired, uh, but there was two separate three-peats in the 90s for the Chicago Bulls, and they were all as a result of the, the leadership and the ability of Michael Jordan to bring that team to whole new levels. <clears throat> you know, and... and Lazenby in his book talks about how Jordan was able to be a listener and he was extremely coachable and despite all of his talents and despite everything he was able to do, he still understood how important it was to listen to coaches, to listen to people like George Mumford, who I'm going to talk about in my next podcast. because George Mumford, in his own right, has been an inspiration um, to me, and I've gone on to read his book, uh, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll talk about him more in the next podcast. Um, Jordan was able to take what George Mumford, Phil Jackson, as before Phil Jackson, he was able to take what they 
were offering him and make it work. Did it mean that he took everything they said and used it exactly the way they wanted it to? No. The beauty of Michael Jordan was the fact that he listened, but then he took that information and was able to make it work for him. I'm not a basketball expert, and I will never pretend to be one, you know. But in the book, Lazenby talks about the triangle offense that the Chicago Bulls used during their their runs, the three um, consecutive championships, uh, and then another three consecutive championships when Jordan returned to the Bulls after he went on his... Uh, Adventure into maybe into baseball, but anyway, let's not get into that right now. Um, they talk about the triangle offense, and they also talk about how Jordan and the Bulls were pretty resistant to the triangle offense because they felt like Jordan had the skills to go one on one against guys. At any point in in the game, and and make make them pay, and there were times in games where Michael would um, use the triangle offense to his to his advantage, and he would find spots on the court and make shots that that you know most people would not be able to make. But then there were times when Michael Jordan would go on his own, and he would force the issue, and he would go one-on-one with guys on the court. And although this frustrated coaches, you know, because he would listen to them, he would utilize the offense that they were suggesting, but then when he found it appropriate, he would go about his business and make things happen and essentially go on a scoring tear and and carry the whole team to victory. Now, sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't, as the book very clearly indicates. But more often than not, Jordan was able to pick and choose the times and when he was going to follow the coach's lead and when he was going to go on his own and take charge. And what am I saying here? What I'm saying is, we shouldn't ignore the coaches. As athletes, we should not ignore the coaches. We should not ignore their advice, but we should not also ignore our experience. Athletes are the ones out there on the court. And at the end of the day, whatever sport we play, whatever we do, um, we are the ones that are accountable at the end of the day. And we can see things from the perspective of an athlete that no coach can see. So there are times when it is appropriate to make a judgment call on your own. Um, And it's sometimes it's going to work out for you. And sometimes it's not going to work out for you. Uh, But we have to be willing to take risks in order to succeed in sport and in life, we have to be willing to take risks and also be willing to pay 
the consequences for whatever decision we have made at that particular time. So are there times when, you know, we go off script and we don't do what the coaches ask and we fall on our face and we don't succeed? Yes, there is. There will be times uh, when you look like the dumbass and you're going to uh, not make the right decision and it's not going to work out in your favor. But it's what you do with that after the fact. If you allow yourself to say, well, I'm never going to take that risk again because it didn't work out, then you're really limiting yourself. Because then you are a one-track line player or athlete. And if there's one thing I've learned from reading the book on Michael Jordan, is that the reason he was successful is because he saw things that many others didn't see. And he was willing to push himself beyond the level that most people were able to push themselves. And if you remember his famous commercial where he talks about how many times he failed, I don't remember the exact quote or the exact numbers, but he indicates that he failed so much in his life and that it's those fails that have allowed him to learn how to succeed. If all we ever do is succeed, there's no possibility of growth. There's no possibility of learning. So a loss on a court, a loss in a game, a loss in an end, a bocce, is never a failure. It is a learning experience. It is an opportunity to learn and grow. My coach for years, through my um, years in the game of bocce, anytime I lost a match, I used to be the guy that would be livid. I need to go outside and get angry and scream and yell because I was so amped up, so ready for competition that I was angry. Not at my opponent, not at the referee, not at anybody else but myself, but because I was so emotionally charged, I had to release that somehow. But as my coach would say, I needed that edge. I needed to feel that, have that edge to be successful because that is what propelled me forward. So when I lost the match and I got angry, his first instinct was to bring me outside. And he would let me go on for five, ten minutes sometimes. And I'd yell, scream, throw my hat, do the things I needed to do. And at the end of all of that temper tantrum, if you will, he would say to me, two, he would ask me two simple questions. What went wrong in that game and how are you going to fix it moving forward? So again, he was forcing me to look at it from a point of how can we learn from this loss? How can we learn 
from the mistakes that you made in that game that led to your loss. Are we going to allow that loss to compound your inability to succeed? No. We're going to take the information from that and we're going to use it to improve and to grow and to be better the next time. So each time I lose on a bocce court, it's the same two questions. What went wrong and how are you going to fix it? Those fundamental questions transcend the bocce court, transcend any sport anywhere, in life in general. When we sit and we talk about what went wrong, okay, whether it be in our relationships, whether it be in uh, our job, whether it be in any facet of life, if we're faced with what we perceive as a failure, we can ask ourselves those two simple questions and we can learn from those things. If we talk a little bit more about Jordan, we can talk about his work ethic. In the book, it talks about how Jordan would always kind of sneak into basketball camps as a young kid, and he would always sneak back into the gym, even though he was finished all of the the drills with one group, he was at the basketball camp, and he would constantly be trying to get back in onto the basketball court and continue his craft, continue to develop his skills. At, at a young age, coaches saw him coming back into the gym, even though he wasn't supposed to be. And they would also see him after practices as a young kid, sitting in or in the gym taking jump shot after jump shot after jump shot after jump shot. At a very young age, uh, Michael Jordan had an understanding that he was likely going to be a guard in the NBA if he was going to make it. And he had to develop uh, a shot. He had to, to develop a jump shot in order to be successful at the NBA level. Because as a young kid, I mean, he when he finally made his varsity team, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we know that he, uh, of course we know the famous story of how he got cut uh, in his sophomore year from the varsity team and had to play junior varsity for a year. But when he did finally make the, the varsity team, he was um, he was a pretty big kid, and they were kind of using him as a center because at that point in his life he was one of the biggest guys, and he could he could play and post up and do these things. But he knew in the NBA he was going to be a guard, and that he had to develop a perimeter shot. He had to develop some some length to his shot. So. He would spend hours on a basketball court perfecting his shot. And he would push guys to, to defend him all the way through his career as a young kid, all the way up to the NBA. And he would push, in practice, he would push guys and push the buttons and force them to defend him like their life depended on it because 
he wanted to create conditions for himself that pushed him outside of his comfort zone, outside of their comfort zone, because that was the only way he knew how to push it and and develop and grow as an athlete. And it's this kind of work ethic and this ability not only push himself but his teammates that really allowed the Bulls, I think, to to develop into one of the strongest teams in all of professional sports. Um, I, I remember I was fascinated watching Michael Jordan and those incredible fadeaway jump shots that, that he made almost effort it looked effortless, effortlessly done all the time. It was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, still, uh, you know, watching clips of it on YouTube, I still marvel at his athleticism and his pure and and un, unwavering desire to compete at an incredible level. Um, you know. Michael Jordan had some adversity in his life. Um, a kind of a lot of people don't realize because he also had a lot of fortunate occurrences as well. I mean, at a very young age, he signed uh, a deal with Nike that would basically uh, make him a millionaire for the rest of his life. And no one knew that that was really going to balloon into what it was. Um, but it was something that uh, would eventually make him into the star he is today. But he also had a lot of adversity. And it was the listening to the audiobook that I really started to understand that, that the reason why he left basketball the first time um, and, and the, the emotional turmoil that he was experiencing at that time in his life. Um, I don't know, a lot of you probably will know, but uh, at the time of his retirement, uh, Michael Jordan's father was uh, brutally murdered. I believe he was shot. And Michael had uh, a really hard time in coping with, with the loss of his father. And um, his father, for years, had a dream of, of his son playing professional baseball, not basketball. So um, after winning the first uh, set of three titles with the Bulls and then experiencing the loss of his father in that tragic fashion, Michael retired from basketball and he, he went on to... Uh, try to develop into a major league baseball player. And uh, because of his connection with ownership with the White Sox, uh, he was able to, um, you know, come into the White Sox organization and, and really try to develop. And his work ethic that he had as a basketball player continued on the baseball diamond. that for himself. I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think Michael ever really thought he was going to make the majors, and maybe he did, 
But I don't think it was about making the big league team. I think it was about honoring his father and honoring something that he and his father shared. Um, and he wanted to do that. That was his way of healing. That was his way of grieving. That was his way of dealing with the challenge of, of, of losing his father in the way that he did. And I admire him because his the way he carried himself through that experience, um, the fact that he was, you know, a minor league baseball player. <laughs> the fact that he was a minor league baseball player um, it would have been difficult, I think, for anybody uh, to endure that and to deal with that. But he he did it with with humility. He did it with a grace that, that no one uh, could match, I don't think. And eventually he came back uh, to the Bulls and back to basketball because this man... Um, had a competitive edge, or had a competitive edge about him that I don't think anyone can match. So he came back to basketball, and he pursued. Uh, he continued to um, lead the Bulls to a second three-peat in the nineties, um, and he talked a lot about how his teammates like Scottie Pippen and later Steve Kerr and those guys really were a supporting cast and he didn't do things alone. But there were still times where he, when he came back where he would put that team on his back and carry them through wins. And that first season back, I don't know if it was the first or second. I have to re-listen to the book. But they had a season where they had something like 72 wins or something like that and 10 losses. That was the first uh, championship season after his retirement. That basketball team was incredible. Um... And Michael Jordan was once again at the center of it all. And despite all of this greatness that we talk about, Michael Jordan had his own demons. He had his own skeletons. He had what I would characterize as an addiction to competition. Because... It wasn't enough for him to win on the on on the basketball court. It wasn't enough for him to win basketball games. He had to start gambling early into in his career when he had um, when he had the money to gamble. Uh, he would have these incredible bets uh, playing golf because, of course, he was so ultra competitive that. Even when he wasn't playing basketball, he was he was betting on golf games with his friends, and he got himself into a lot of difficult uh, 
situations and owed a lot of money uh, because of his ultra-competitive nature. It was later proven that he never actually bet on basketball. He never was involved in anything in that kind of uh, realm, but he certainly uh, would be involved in betting in any other card game, golf game he could possibly get his hands on. And it shows that even the best of us can fall on these really negative habits and these habits that aren't really intended to be anything major but can balloon so quickly into something that we need to be mindful of. In the end, I think Michael Jordan has come out of it and he's not. Um, the, the book talks about how he left the game the second time after the Bulls would not bring, or after Phil Jackson would not renew his contract, um, Michael Jordan decided to step away for the last time from the Bulls. And uh, he went on to try to try his hand at the ownership uh, with the Washington Wizards. Um, and then, because the Wizards were having difficulty on the court, Michael Jordan being Michael Jordan, he found himself uh, coming back for a third stint, uh, not anywhere near where he needed to be, um, you know, from a competitive standpoint, but still putting butts in those seats because of his, his stature and who he was. Michael Jordan, to this day, loved the game of basketball, loved the game, loved sports to a level that is unparalleled at this point. You know, in his contracts with the Chicago Bulls, he had for the love of the game clause. And that for the love of the game clause allowed him to compete in any basketball game that he saw fit, regardless of whether it was associated with the Chicago Bulls or not. And uh, even though it was risky, and even though he could cause himself injury, that clause was required in his contract because he enjoyed competing that much. I admire that kind of uh, commitment to competition. I admire him. And I think that a lot of people, when they listen to his Hall of Fame induction speech, take what he says the wrong way. He comes across as someone who is pretty bold and cocky, if you will. But the fact of the matter is, he is Michael Jordan, and he accomplished things in his sport that no one else has accomplished. And I think that he's also endured a lot of adversity in his life, and he has come through that. So when he talks about possibly coming back at 50, you can laugh all you want. But if any, if if you if you understand anything about Jordan, he is the kind of guy who will push himself to compete at whatever he's doing. So would I put it past him 
not to lace him up again. At this point, it's very unlikely, of course. Uh, I think he knows what his limits are, but uh, I think that he probably can play a pickup game like nobody's business at the age of 50-some years old. So, uh, he is, I don't know what else to say about the guy other than he is the greatest athlete of all time. Um, and he's an inspiration to me. Um, and because, I mean, although his, his first comeback in the sport was only like uh, after a year and some of uh, of basketball, his second time back. And my my comeback is coming back after 16, 17 years. So there's definitely a lot of, there's a difference of many, many years there. But the reality is, is that I draw a lot of inspiration from the fact that at the end of the day, he was able to get himself back into a form where he was competing at the highest possible level and he was contributing to his team's success and ultimately allowed the Chicago Bulls to have three, um, a three-peat for a second time in the 90s. Um, unbelievable uh, story and an unbelievable inspiration. So, my takeaways from this Jordan biography from Roland is that it takes tremendous work ethic. It takes a willingness to push ourselves beyond our comfort zone. It takes a willingness to listen and to be coachable, but also recognize that we can move beyond the coaching points and see things for ourselves on the court. Um, I'm not saying that I'm better than the coaches. I'm not saying that I shouldn't, that the coaches shouldn't be listened to. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are times in any sport where an athlete needs to be able to make a judgment call where an athlete needs to trust themselves to make a decision that may not be the decision that the coach would prefer, but a, a decision that the athlete themselves can live with, whether it is the right decision or not. Because at the end of the day, you need to be comfortable with your decisions. Now, it's quite possible that you know if you're the kind of athlete that blindly follows what Coach X tells you that you end up doing that and you find yourself in this rut. You're not able to get out of the rut because you, you're limiting yourself to a one track or one thought kind of approach and it's not always appropriate that I think any good coach would want an athlete to be able to challenge that one-track mind idea and be able to see things in a variety of ways. So Michael Jordan was able to do it in his career, recognizing when the coach's system was appropriate, recognizing when he needed to do something different. 
and that ability to recognize the difference. Still respecting and listening, but being able to recognize when it was time to make a different decision is what separates mediocre athletes from really strong ones. So, I guess that's all for today. Um, I don't know how well this is going to turn out, but I enjoyed chatting about my uh, thoughts on Michael Jordan and how it applies to my bocce comeback uh, and my journey as a renewed bocce athlete. And I look forward to my next podcast where we discuss uh, the famous Bulls sports psychologist, and his book on the mindful athlete and the secrets to pure performance. That's what we'll be talking about next time. Again, I encourage anybody who wants to learn more about Bocce to go to bocce.canada.ca or the International Bocce Federation, bisfed.org. I'll have links to those websites uh, in the description of this podcast. And I hope to have you listen in the future. Thanks. Talk to you soon.